Welcome back to the Inside Story with RLLC. Today, we are talking to Gabrielle Nicolet about the importance of turn-taking. How are you today? I'm so well, and I'm happy to be here with you, Tristan. Oh, we are so happy that you are here. This is a big topic, and I'm excited that we're going to learn more about it. Excellent. Me too. Amazing. So first thing I want to do is just have you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about about who you are and what you do. All right. My name is Gabrielle Nicolet. I live in Washington, D.C. I am the proud owner of Speech Kids, which is a speech therapy practice um, devoted to serving young children and their families with speech and language disorders and delays. Um, We see late talkers. We see kids with autism. We see kids who don't talk so good for one reason or another. Um, And I'm also the co-owner of something called Raising Orchid Kids, which is a parent education and parent support group, um, parent support organization. We run classes for parents who are raising orchid kids. And we can get into what that is, but basically orchid kids are those sensitive, needy, difficult, challenging, quirky, fill in the adjective of your choice. (laughs) They need a little extra and they're often hard to parent. And so because they're hard to parent, we created a class for parents of those kids. (laughs) And we run that several times a year. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. But my real, you know, my real um, passion is to help families with young kids really get to know and figure out how to be with their young kids, whether or not they have speech and language needs. Right. Um, Cause it's such a, for me, such a fun age, um, yeah. you know, five and under and can be really challenging for, for people who, who don't know how to do things, you know, how to, how to interact, how to play, how to talk to, you know, uh, small people who are new here and who are sort of <laughs> figuring out the rules still. Right. <laughs> Well, that is awesome. It sounds like very rewarding work as well. Oh, my God. You have no idea. I love what I do. Every day, I am thrilled to go to work. Oh, I love to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, if people were looking to find you, like, in the world and also online, where would they go? Um, We see so our support groups and our parent education classes are all virtual you can find those at raisingorchidkids.com raisingorchidkids.com and my private speech therapy practice is at speechkids.com that is dc maryland and virginia and florida oddly (laughs) florida (laughs) well great we we have somebody with a license in florida so as you know speech therapy is a licensed profession and so uh, the kiddos have to be in one of the states where we have a license. Right. All righty. Perfect. And for anyone that's looking for those things, I'll put them in the show notes so that listeners can find that info very easily. Fantastic. Thank you. Of course. All righty. Well, if you're ready, we can just jump right into turn-taking. Let's do it. All righty. So first base question is, what is turn-taking and why is it so important? Yeah, good one. Okay. <laughs> turn-taking, as we are going to think about it here, is any anything, any act that involves me doing something and you doing something related. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, so 
we think of it in terms of conversation. I ask a question, or in this case, you ask a question, I answer the question. If we're in a conversation, really what that means is you ask a question, I answer it, and I sort of volley back to you, right, by asking you a question and I invite you to come back. And so then we're having a conversation. Conversation is a really um, familiar turn-taking activity. But when we're talking about young kids, it might just be a smile. Um, And so if we want to like rewind way back from conversation to when babies are born, um, the first thing they're going to do at about six, eight weeks, right about the time when we're ready to throw them out the window, because (laughs) They're keeping us up all the all night. <laughs> no, really, Tristan, this is true. Are you a parent? I'm not a parent. Okay. No, no, no. Anyone who's <laughs> listening will know. After six to eight weeks of being up in the night and you are, you know, sort of nursing and you're awake and you're changing diapers and you're doing all these things and your child, your baby is just taking, 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 taking. You, you, many, many parents reach this point where they're like, oh my God, I, something has to give. <laughs> And right about that time, this is related to turn-taking, by the way, right about that time is when they develop a social smile. Wow. Yes. And so what happens is on that magical day, and most parents will tell you they, they remember, if not the actual day and the time, the, the, the feeling right. of, and I, have, I actually have chills because I remember the first time my son smiled at me. Um, he's now 18 years old, by the way. So oh. you do something, you you say something, you smile at them. Often it's over a diaper change or when they're in your arms and you're looking at them, right? We have that um, sort of uh, close, uh, head-to-head, close eye contact situation. And the parent does something and the child smiles. Yeah. That's turn-taking. Yeah. That's the first time it happens. And then, you know, you're getting, so then, then, then you smile back and then they smile back and then you laugh and then they laugh and then you do something else and then they do something else. And so that's that whole thing. You know, we started off this, this question, even just talking about conversation, we were assuming it's a verbal conversation. There's a whole conversation going on between an infant and its caregiver. Right. Wow. Oh, that made me just really happy. I know. <laughs> you don't often think like, I'm going to take a turn smiling, but it re- it really is something that you take turns at doing. You smile and someone has something to give back to you. Yes. Wow. Yes. And it's key. Again, like, you know, it makes us not want to throw the baby out the window. <laughs> <laughs> it serves a very useful <laughs> evolutionary purpose. <laughs> right. It sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I've learned this now. <laughs> take it later into my life. (laughs) So we kind of hit the next question, which is how early does turn-taking begin? It sounds like it starts around that six to eight weeks, Mm. you said, right? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. And my next question would would be, how do babies initiate turn-taking? But you said with a smile. Are there other ways? Um, Yeah. So if we go sort of flash forward a little bit, so three to six months, um, we're expecting babies to, there's, there's so much going on in development, right? And it's all very closely linked, but from a speech and language point of view, we're looking for cooing noises. We're looking for um, raspberries, you know, that 
<laughs> squealing all of the all of those noises right. as kids are exploring their vocal tract. Well, what we want, and as it relates to turn taking, is we want them to be doing that on their own, but also to get a reaction from people and right. to engage in um another word we use a lot is reciprocal, meaning back and forth, right? Interaction over multiple turns. And so um so that's one way. Another way is just by grabbing, right? So it's this, it's the beginning of like cause and effect, of agency, of like I can make things happen and I can participate. And that starts really early, like much earlier than we think, right. would, than we would might imagine. Yeah. Three you said, I'm sorry, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, went. three, four, four, four to six months, say, is right. when we're hearing those squeals and the babbles and the and then it just gets more and more complex, right? right. Where now kids are babbling when they get to about nine months. Right. Um, ba, ma, ma, ba, 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 da, da, da. Oh, I know, it's a bizarre. <laughs> and you can have a whole conversation, guess what? With somebody who cannot pronounce a single word. Correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is such a side note, but there's um there's a video that I keep seeing just like on the internet um, of a dad and a baby that are sitting I, next to each other on the couch. Do you know what I'm talking about? I love that video. Yes. It is everything. Uh, it is everything. It is everything we teach. So <laughs> what I wish I could do is just show that video, like walk around with a big billboard and just be like, see, this is what you should be doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I want to say, this is interesting too, from, from a developmental standpoint, Often what's happening with the families that I work with mm-hmm. is their kids are not giving that back. Right. Okay. So we started off sort of happy, happy, joy, joy, right? Kid is smiling. We're reciprocating. We're going back and forth. But a lot of times what's happening with kids with developmental issues is they're not giving back that turn or they are engaging in one exchange. Right. And not multiple exchanges. Right. right? And so... And so something like what that dad is doing where he's, and if you haven't seen this clip, Google like what dad and toddler on couch or something. Right. It's gorgeous. It is. Because he's just like, he's talking to the, to the one-year-old as if the one-year-old can converse back. And right. Yeah. And it's this beautiful organic. Oh God. No, no. I love that dad. It's it's so good. Mm -hmm. And he just babbles right back. He says, no real words, but they're having a meaningful conversation with each other. Exceptionally yeah. meaningful. And and that's really, um, you know, when we talk about like why we're doing the things that we're doing, it's not so our kids will talk later. Like we could teach robots to talk. That's all fine and good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. It's so that they will be in relationship. And so, you know, you said, why is turn taking, have you asked me yet? Why is turn taking important? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's because it helps us be in relationship. Right. And be connected to each other. Yeah. In whatever format that takes, which is why, again, a social smile is turn taking is connection. Right. Um, it's why babbling is connection is turn taking. So yeah, it's all, it's all in there. And I'm doing my hands. You can't see that. <laughs> But yes, it's all mixed. We we gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned um, that the kids that you work with often they may initiate something, but then they don't reciprocate. Right? Mm-hmm. Once you give them something, they don't give anything back. Mm-hmm. So what do you do in that situation? 
Yeah. So we have to sort of tease out. I want to, I want to, I'll, I'll outline a situation and then I'll sort of, I'll sort of walk us through it. Yeah. Um, many, many times what's happening in kids with, with speech and language needs is they are sort of, they're, they're kind of barely hanging on. They're sort of overwhelmed, right? right. <laughs> by the, by the amount of, of, sort of stimulus in the environment, you know, people talking to them, um, their own inability to sort of formulate words if they're, if they're trying to do that, mm-hmm. or possibly they've just kind of shut out because the world is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are the orchid kids, right? The, the world is a, is, a, is a very stressful place for them. Right. And so their brains are protecting them um, and just kind of having them be on um it's like it's like when you have the the frosted glass you know like right. some of the light gets in but but you can't really you don't have a clear picture of what's happening um and so if kids are in survival mode which is often what's happening sort of neurologically then they're they don't have, number one they don't have access to a lot of language number two they may still be learning language right and so they they're not they're not in a neurobiological place of being able to connect with other people, which means they're not in a neurobiological place to take turns. Right. Right. And so they may respond to a question. Um, and this is what many, many parents understandably and reasonably do, which is ask their kids with speech and language issues a lot of questions. <laughs> right. Right. And, and actually, we do this of our partners as well <laughs> when they are non-communicative, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, so when somebody isn't giving us what we want, we try to get it. And the easiest way, the first way we try often is a lot of questions. When we ask kids a lot of questions, they will answer us. But then they'll go back to masking and sort of being, um, being shut off. Right. right. They want to get us off their back. So they'll give us a one word and then they'll go back to their to hiding kind of in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get that richness. Um, it's problematic on a couple of different levels. One, because parents are, are um, sort of inadvertently disconnecting from their kids. because right. They're pushing. Right. Mm-hmm. Two, the child isn't getting any practice with what this feels like. And so it doesn't feel good. And so they think conversation is bad. Turn-taking is bad. Um, and then everybody's feeling kind of yucky. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of what we do in intervention is, um, number one, just try to kind of um, regulate and, and, and um, get kids more comfortable in their own skins. Okay. So we reduce demand. We um, weed out the schedule, like something as simple as a schedule that's too, has too many different activities in it can be really alarming for some kids. So we like weed that out. Yeah. We maybe get some occupational therapy in there to deal with some sensory issues. Right. So we, so we sort of tease out why, why is child feeling dysregulated? Mm -hmm. Um, and we do that environmentally and, you know, maybe we get some other interventions in place and then we start to build up the relationship piece of things. I don't even care. (laughs) I laugh because I'm like, I'm the speech therapist who doesn't care if anybody ever talks. (laughs) 
I'm like, ah, oh, I care about all that stuff. I'm gonna right. leave that to <laughs> I'm gonna leave that to the other folks. <laughs> but the thing I care about is does your child feel comfortable and safe right. enough to want to engage in a reciprocal turn-taking kind of interaction. Yeah. Um, and if we bring it back to like turn-taking as maybe not even an interactive, like a like a conversational kind of thing, but as sharing a toy, for example, like taking a turn with a toy. Yeah. Does your child feel safe enough? And do they know what's going to happen if they give a toy and take a turn, um, allow someone else to take a turn with that toy? Do they, do they have the understanding and the security that they're going to get that back? Right. So that's like a whole other unit that I teach in them. <laughs> I have a, a video course on my website called Toddler Talk, and I have, there's a significant amount of time devoted to teaching parents how to um, get their toddlers to take turns with other kids in yeah. terms of like sharing toys, right? Because yeah. sharing is a big deal. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's helpful. I'll definitely yeah. put that in the in the show notes as well oh, so fantastic. people can find that. Um, do you, is, it vert, is it like... Um, that's a virtual course that's available okay. on the Speech Kids website. Cool. So people, yeah. it's kind of like on demand, right? It is. Okay, great. Yeah. I'll yeah, definitely there's put also, that. And there's also a free, there's also a free course there that you can opt into if you want to check it out first. Okay, perfect. I'll put yeah. that down there so people can find it because it sounds very fruitful if parents are having a hard time with the turn taking. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, let me see. What's the, what is the next thing I'd like to ask you? Um, so one of the questions on here is what is joint attention? Mm hmm. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about joint attention. Let's do it. It's huge. Um, joint attention is, if you want to think about a triangle, um, where there is an object of attention, could be a person, could be a building, could be a tree, could be an airplane, doesn't matter what it is, could be a book. And that's on the, on the, on the tip of the triangle. And the two people involved, or multiple people, are on the bottom of the triangle looking at the thing. Um, when I know that you're looking at the thing and you know that I'm looking at the thing and we're enjoying looking at the thing together, then that's, a, that's called joint attention. Okay. So it means, for example, if we're taking a walk with our toddler, toddler points to a dog walking down the street, looks at mom, looks back at the dog, that's joint attention. Okay. Where we're both paying attention to the same thing. Okay. So how how does that fit into turn taking and what is that, you know, how yeah. how are they related? <laughs> yeah, good. So um we we have to have joint attention in order to engage in turn taking. Right. Because if I'm hauling off over here, you know, just sort of by myself and I'm um yeah, it's funny because this as, as I'm doing it, and <laughs> I'm such a visual person that the audio <laughs> format is a problem. <laughs> we'll so, work through it. <laughs> right? If I turn my head away from you, I can I can have a conversation, but it's not going to be a true shared experience, right? right? Because my body language is kind of all wrong. Um, my body language is not showing that we're having a joint experience. Right. Um and so that's that's one way that joint attention is important for turn taking. The other is if you think about like a board game, for example, this is a classic example, right? 
if you have you ever played a board game with somebody who's on their phone (laughs) (laughs) it's very difficult it's very difficult and it's kind of pointless yeah right because the whole point of the game is that we're doing it together right and and then sharing our time we each get a turn yeah right sharing our part of the together activity yeah when i was on your website a little earlier i looked at it um before we met (laughs) i also saw another word on there that i think would be of help if we defined Mm. it Mm -hmm. what is central coherence oh Oh my gosh okay you're just like this just you know just 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 a little thing i know i'm just (laughs) asking you all the big questions okay so central coherence means it's so good the way you're structuring this. I love it because um, you're sort of going back up the pyramid, yeah. <laughs> which is what's the big idea? Yeah. Right. What what is important? What is meaningful? What is the gist of this experience that we should be paying attention to? Right. right so what do I mean by that? Um, Let's take, I'm going to take a really silly example, which is Please. a car. Okay. So central coherence as it relates to a car <laughs> is that it is a large machine that we use to get places. Right? It's transportation. Right. So that's, that's like, right, the, the big gestalt of carness, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Central coherence is not, as regards the car, a wheel spinning. Okay. Right? And the, and the reason I use the car is because, and I was talking about an actual car, but in many of the kids I work with are, are very, um, and many kids with autism in particular, are very engaged with parts of a thing. Right. But not the whole thing. The whole thing. Right? And so, you know, as it relates to sort of human interaction central coherence would be something like we're here you and i are here to spend some time together to be in connection and in relationship to one another so that we can help some people in the process right we're not here so that you can answer a question and i can answer it Uh, you can ask a question and i can answer it right right this is not a rote exercise right um, and so that's kind of how it might relate to something bigger. Okay, cool. Sorry, I know I asked you a bunch of like big questions about definitions of terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But- <laughs> it's good. It's, it's such a good exercise to have to do because, you know, yeah. we throw these terms around like everybody's supposed to understand them and they <laughs> appear in the research and the literature and all this stuff. And, um, we, you know, number one, we forget that not everybody has studied the, the same things that we have. <laughs> yeah. and. <laughs> We shouldn't do that. Right. <laughs> but those were super helpful. So thank you for answering those those little like, you know, little big questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to the child. Now we were talking about bigger questions, but now let's go back to the child. Yeah. How does turn taking expand during preschool years? And then, you know, the years following, but mainly preschool years. Yeah. So, <laughs> first thing I want to say about this before people 
<laughs> sort of stop listening if I'm droning on is two-year-olds can't share. <laughs> there, I said it. <laughs> two-year-olds can't share. Two-year-olds can't cannot share. So there's a thing that happens, which is super interesting, um, just kind of developmentally. And again, early childhood is like this fascinating period, I, I think, where there's so much going on and you never really stop to think about it until something goes wrong. Right. Right. It's like you, you, you just think that stuff is happening automatically, but there's so many moving pieces and it's just, it's incredible. Um, okay. But how does turn-taking evolve? Um, basically it is, it is a process by which, um, I mean, sort of the big picture is brains come online. They realize that stuff isn't going to disappear <laughs> when they no longer have possession of it. Right. And that they will get stuff back. I mean, that's <laughs> you said brains come online. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> really like it's so it I deal with a lot of, you know, being in Washington, D.C., we have a lot of parents who are highly educated. Yeah. And 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 many of them come to me and say, you know, my my two year old, my one year old doesn't listen to me when I tell them what to do. And I'm like, uh huh. You know, and it's like, the, you know, they're used to being at work where people listen because yes. why? Because those brains are fully formed. Right. Like you. It, it really would do us a world of good to remember that number one, my, you know, your two-year-old, your three-year-old even, and three, threes are great, but they've only been here for three years. Right. Like, <laughs> that is not enough time to learn all the rules. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but between two and three is really when, like, when sort of individuality is being established, right? Mm -hmm. So 24 months, 18 to 24 months, kids are like separating from mom as just like recognizing that they're a separate person, right? which I think is fascinating, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, three-year-olds can like, they have, many of them have a lot of language skills, mm -hmm. right? And so you can sort of carry on a conversation. You can do a little bit of reasoning with them when they're calm. Um, and so they're just they're starting to have had more experiences and understand more about how the world works. Right. Um, and so if they've been in a situation where the rules have been consistent, where adults have been behaving consistently, um, I mean, this is a big deal actually, like, you know, consistency is huge for yeah. safety, right? right? Safety first, turns out, <laughs> hugely important. Yeah. Um, then they can start to sort of apply and then do this turn taking. But honestly, in a in a the underlying mechanisms of turn taking, in other words, what we were talking about before, which is like that relational piece, that's all there. It's all humming in the background, right? right. The rest is just kind of the mechanics that we put on top of it. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what happens if there's a breakdown in this in these mechanics mm -hmm. that we've got? in of turn taking yeah um so what can happen is number one i just want to i want to talk about failure a little bit so kids learn that they're supposed to be doing something that they can't do or that they don't know how to do okay 
And so then they turn away from it. Right. So what do I mean by that? So if, if, if I'm engaging in, um, let's, let's go back to the board game. If I'm playing a board game and my brain doesn't allow me to sustain attention while somebody else is doing their thing, then I don't have the ability to sustain joint attention, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't have the ability to play that game. Now the other person's gonna get mad at me, either kid or adult. <laughs> and now I'm gonna feel like, oh, well, I don't wanna do that because that's not fun. Right. It's too hard. Right. And so when, when a task is too difficult, kids don't wanna do it. They're not stupid, I would say this. <laughs> Kids are not dumb. Right. <laughs> right? Like, they're not going to keep doing things that they don't like. They don't, well, not only that they don't like, but that feel bad. Right. Right. The reason they don't like them is because they can't do them. Not, they don't, they don't, they don't not do them because they don't like them. They don't right. do them because they're not good at them. Ah. Mm -hmm. And therefore they don't like them. Right. It's the same kids who, I'm sure you get this. Um, reading is boring. Anytime mm -hmm. I hear boring, ooh, red flag yeah. immediately, yeah. right? Same thing. I don't like games. Really? Because right. developmentally, we kind of expect you to at this point. Right. You know? And if you don't, again, uh, it's not that I'm blaming <laughs> anybody for this, but they're going to engage. Children who are having difficulty in that situation are going to engage in some self-preservation. Yeah. And thank God. Right. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So this kind of feeds into social communication, right? Mm -hmm. um, what makes that so challenging? You might have kind of answered that in the last well, discussion. Well, no, but I think it's worth, it's, it's definitely worth exploring some more because I think what we assume is, is that, and, and let's be clear, the, social communication, social, this turn-taking behavior is a big challenge for kids on the autism spectrum, mm -hmm. but not only for kids on the autism spectrum. This right. is a problem for, for example, somebody with a hearing loss, Yeah, right? Because if you can't hear what's being said, you're not going to be able to engage in the turn-taking process, right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think by and large, you know, maybe 80% of the time, 70% of the time we're talking about kids with autism who are not picking up on social cues and for whom it's really difficult to pick up on social cues. Yeah. And so they don't feel good at, um, at staying engaged in complex social interactions. And so they're just not going to do them. When they don't do them, though, they lose out on practice opportunities. They further isolate themselves, which is not what they want. Right. Um, right. And so it, it gets really, it does get very complicated. Um, particularly then if adults are using the same strategies and the same strategies and those aren't working and then we're pushing and pushing and pushing further away from what we want, right. which is to allow kids to be in connection with us. And I think this is, this is um, actually a big issue for some of the older kids, which is they failed so many times in the past. Um, and I think, you know, we speech therapists sometimes do this too, where we're so focused on just want the kid to talk. We just want the kid to talk. We just want the kid to talk. And again, like 
I, I want us to spend way more time on the connection piece yeah. than on the talking piece. Um, there's a beautiful pyramid online. Um, oh, I wish I could remember what it is. But basically, I'm, I'm sure you've seen a version of it where it's sort of all the um, sort of neurological functions that have to be intact. So sensory processing, you know, um, interoception, all of the senses um, all the interpretation of those senses. Mm-hmm. And then we start to layer on joint attention, play, all of that. The, 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 the words don't even come and it's a tiny little triangle on the top of the pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about parents having um, problems kind of with using the same strategies and not seeing improvement in that. Mm-hmm. So what can they do at home that will help their child with turn-taking, especially in social communication um, and like in other things, maybe at school and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, I'm going to laugh as I say it. Talk less, (laughs) smile more. No, Um, (laughs) uh, but, but actually to quote Lin-Manuel Miranda, talk less, less. smile more. Um, engage in those um, very simple social routines. And so if we go back to um, go back to the dad with the kid on the couch, yeah, right. We could actually um, get something like that going where the, because the, the dad in that scenario isn't asking a lot of questions. He's mostly, I mean, he's asking rhetorical questions, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, that don't require much of a response, right? So we can come in with less language, more physical play um, that that we can do turn-taking with. So um, one of the things I love to have families do is is if their kid likes to be tickled, right? We play the tickle game. Yeah. And we just, we wait for that initiation of child locks eyes with you for half a second. Guess what? They get a bunch of tickles. And that feels really good. And then child locks eyes with you for another second. Okay. You know, and we might think that that's about eye contact and a lot is made of eye contact, blah, blah, blah. Okay. It's not about the eye contact. It's about the connection. Yeah. It's about whether that eye contact is pleasurable and whether it's, it's then releasing the oxytocin, which is right. Bonding hormone rather than cortisol, which is stress hormone, which we don't want. Right. 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 (laughs) So, so, but, but it's, it can be kind of, there's a learning curve there. Yeah. Because we have to be really in tune with what, if, if our children are not talking to us about how they're feeling, we have to be really observational and, and in tune with what their bodies are showing us. Right. Um, so you asked specifically, what are some strategies that parents can use? One is to play non-verbally with your child. Right. Um, so that might be physical play. It might be just sitting down and making your own Lego structure because they want to do their own Lego structure. Yeah. And I often have kids, particularly on the autism spectrum, but not all. They don't want anybody else touching their structure. Yeah. Right? Nobody else can touch it. And parents always want to know, well, how can I get him to take turns with me? Okay, well, first we got to like get him used to you even sitting next to him right. doing the same thing. Yeah. 
and we go baby steps. We go baby, baby, baby steps. And once I, once we see that the that the comfort is there and the rapport is there and the um, connection is there, then maybe you're going to reach across and oh, I put a blue one on top of your tower <laughs> and sneak a turn. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, what's going to happen? Kiddo is going to take that blue thing off and throw it in your face. And you're going to say, oh, you didn't like that. That's okay. Yeah. And then you're going to go back to 10 more minutes of just building your own structure. So we take like minuscule steps. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. So continuing on with parents, Mm -hmm. this is kind of backtracking a little bit, but when should they reach out to a specialist and who in particular in the field do they reach out to to get support if they're noticing a turn-taking issue? Um, A speech-language pathologist is one of the people you might reach out to. Speech therapists, speech-language pathologist, same thing as speech therapist. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, Are often the first-line call. Many preschool teachers like to refer for speech and language um, because it's a nice, it's a nice soft place to land. Yeah. Um, There's some really um, great functional, useful things that, you know, we speech therapists can work on that are going to really make a difference for quality of life of Mm -hmm. parents and kids. (laughs) Um, And we can work on those fairly quickly. Um, and so a, a speech therapist is a great place to start. Another one is um, an occupational therapist. I feel like in my experience, um, SLPs, speech therapists, and OTs, occupational therapists, are sort of the most play-based, I want to say global sort of thinkers about young children. I will say there are many social workers who are also phenomenal. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, it really kind of just depends on, sometimes it just depends on who's, who's doing the referring. Right. Um, But I know, I know if, um, you know, a few social workers who really work on play, for example. Right. And so all of us are sort of coming at this, at this question of, of social and play development from slightly different but but similar angles which is we know play is important we know turn taking is important because of what happens later on and we yeah. want to establish really good um roots for that as early as we can and so yeah. when we see kids who i mean you know people ask me sometimes is is 15 months too young to start therapy it's not wow if i see kids who are not allowing anybody into their world, into their play. If I see kids who are not exhibiting joint attention, meaning they're when they see the dog on the street, they're not looking at mom to make sure she sees the dog too. Right. Um, that is a kid I want to see. Yeah. Um, and I want to, I want to help mom and dad figure out how to, I think of it as um, getting in under the blanket with them. Yeah. You know, um, and we want to sort of pry the door open a little bit. So anyway, I'm mixing metaphors, but um, that's a kid I want to, I want to, because here's what can happen. If we get them early, we avoid all the behavior that goes on top 
of kids who are failing again, right? They're not dumb. They're going to like protect themselves. And how are they going to protect themselves with behaviors that help them avoid what they can't do? Right. But if they, if they, if they are never given an opportunity to fail repeatedly, right. Then that's a beautiful thing. We just hit the ground running and we just keep running. Yeah. Wow. 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 I think those are all of my big questions. I think that's going to be super helpful to parents because often there are other um, areas. And if if you've listened to our episode with Vivian Siskin on stuttering, we talked about um, how parents think that things can kind of just like peter out, especially with stuttering. But um, it's good to hear it's never, it's not never too early. It's, it is almost never too early. I mean, I always say to parents, worst case scenario, this, the, the person, the therapist tells you, Meh, right. there's nothing going on here. Right. Yeah. And, and to be, to, if we're being totally honest and we're not lying to ourselves as parents, and as a parent, I can, I can attest to this. If we're asking the question, we think there's something going on. Yeah. Right? If we're if we're not if it hasn't even dawned on us, then chances are things are going well. And if things are going well, that's fantastic. Yeah. But if there are things that that parents are asking themselves, they've noticed at the park, oh, my kid doesn't really look like other kids his age or her age. My kid doesn't really talk like other kids her age. My child doesn't really do the things that the other children are doing. Right. It's not that we want to be in this compare and despair mode, but it is something we want to take note of and ask somebody, you know, um, and there's a, there's a great book that um, the child development consultants who is, um, wrote called, is it a big problem or a little problem? Mm-hmm. Right. Like we want to know, yeah. is, is it even a problem? Maybe right. it's not a problem. Um, and so, but if you're asking yourself, if you have that nagging gut feeling, right. Go, 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 go get help from somebody. Go ask the question. So who would you ask that question to? Like if you, let's say your preschool teacher hasn't seen anything, Mm, um, mm -hmm. would you ask them for a referral or would you do the own, your own research to find a speech language pathologist or an occupational therapist who, who do you ask the question to? If I were a parent, and actually I was a parent who was asking these questions. Yeah. And so when I was a parent asking these questions, I first asked my pediatrician and they gave me an, in, what was the word I'm using? An, a bad answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, they gave me the wrong answer and said, yeah. don't worry about it. And I was already worried. And because of my line of work, I was like, mm, not listening to you. Right. The next person I called was, who did I call? Called my friend and got a referral. I think if I were going to do it now, I would go, I would probably take to Facebook and say, yeah. I need somebody who, you know, can help me figure out if this is a big problem or a little problem. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. I mean, the other thing that people can do is call the county. Okay. In which they live. So one of the things that's available to everybody, birth to three, um, is early intervention services. Okay. And you can 
call the county in which you live and they are required in a certain amount of time to um, provide an evaluation for free. Wow. Yeah. And so this is, it's sometimes it's called infants and toddlers. Sometimes it's called early intervention or EI. Um, and this is a great way for, for people to sort of talk to somebody who knows. Now, truth be, you know, full disclosure, it's a government system. So it's a little bit bureaucratic. It takes a little bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's, sometimes you have a practitioner who's not awesome. Um, <laughs> but there are many amazing people who work for, um, for infants and toddlers or early intervention. And, okay. and it's a fantastic place to start. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I think, I think that I, I told you I was almost done and then I, I wasn't. And now I, now I think I've, I've asked all my questions. <laughs> I would talk to you all day. <laughs> and it would be so wonderful. <laughs> Do you have any other things you want to share with us that I maybe didn't ask you? Nothing is coming to mind. This, is, <laughs> this was so much fun. No, really, this was this was a delight. It w- I enjoyed it too. I, so I'm so glad because it's just so much fun to learn about all of this stuff. Yeah. I agree with you that the, the littlest ones are so exciting to work mm. with. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. All the novelty and all of the like, all of the things that are happening all the time. All the like, time. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for being with us here today. This was so fruitful and I think very helpful to parents and SLPs. I hope so. Yeah. Thanks, Tristan. Of course. Well, thank you everyone for listening and um, make sure to subscribe so you know when we put out another new episode and leave us a little rate and a review so we can hear from you. Awesome. Have a great rest of your day.